Part two of session 88. Let's pick up the thread on the tarot today. Let's begin. In the last episode, we talked about different things and one of the last conversations was about the retaking or actually the taking of the pictures and that was for the material. I I had a, an epiphany at that moment, so go watch that. I think it was the last question that we covered, question 12. It was just beautiful, beautiful answer by Ra. So I think that is the most valuable. No, there is more. There's more in this session. Uh, but yeah, there is, I, I would say, that is the most valuable, for sure, in this session. That that which concerns something that has nothing to do with questioning and all of this archetypical mind and spiritual evolution, but just practical advice of life, I think it's beautiful. So, in any case, the first episode, uh, or the first part, on this session was loose terms, um, questions here that Don wanted to discuss. Now we're getting strictly into the tarot. And that's why I wanted to uh, begin in this question today. Nothing to refresh. So let's go straight into the first question that we have. This is question 13, where Don says, thank you. I would like to ask you as to the initial production of the tarot, where this concept was first formed and where the tarot was first recorded. Where did this, he pauses and then says, the very first concept. I don't know if that was an inaudible part. I don't think so because it's usually denoted there, but in any case, let's talk about the tarot basically. Ross says, the concept of the Tarot originated within the planetary influence you call Venus. So, I guess the refresher here is to remind you that Venus was the hometown of Ra. They evolved there, they graduated from third density, they did fourth and fifth density as far as I remember, I believe they did, I don't know, fifth, I think so, uh, and sixth density, they moved away. Uh, this has to do with the quality of sixth density, as far as I understand it, and they actually now reside in the sun. This sounds very strange to the person who is not uh, initiated, so to speak, in the law of one, and densities and so on but this makes a lot of sense because um, you see the Sun being pure light is just the manifestation of pure consciousness in a specific way right but it's pure consciousness manifesting this octave of experience which is the solar system uh, I won't get into the, de the details of this but What's relevant is that as we return to source, well, what's our source? The sun. <laughs> and so 
Uh, even in physics, we can see this. The sun is what provides basically uh, all the energy to the solar system. In fact, all planets, all moons, everything is made out of the initial mass, uh, the solar disk, right? So everything is the sun, everything is the logos. Locally here being sub logos, or if you want to get super technical within the law of one, the sun is a sub sub logos. But yeah, that is, um, that's where we return. And so Ra being sixth density now, they are closer to, uh, to the sun, to pure consciousness, unity. So they, they are able to reside there and sustain, as they say, the impact of light. That's what evolution is in terms of mind, body, spirit complexes. Anyhow, that's, um, that's the home planet of Ra, it's Venus, and this happened 2.6 billion, that's 2.6 thousand, um, thousand millions, I see why we use billion in English. <laughs> um, a thousand million years, 2.6 thousand million years. I always think about this because in Spanish, billion is what in English is trillion, which is a million million. And it's kind of confusing to me sometimes. But yeah, that's the, the amount of time that has passed between us and raw third density. And because we're talking about the Tarot, we're talking about third density. And that's where it originated in Venus with them. Don is going to ask more about this. He says in question 14, was the concept given to, he pauses and said, let me ask, you said it originated there. Was this concept devised for a training tool for those inhabiting Venus at the time, or was it devised by those of Venus as a training tool for those of Earth? Um, yeah, <laughs> that's, um, uh, that's totally um, misplaced. Earth at that time was barely having life, uh, life form as we know it in second density. But yeah, Ra says the Tarot was devised by the third density population of Venus, a great measure of your space time in your past. So yeah, Earth was, uh, I don't know which uh, era we were in, but yeah, very, very primitive. As we have noted, says Ra, the third density experience of those of Venus dealt far more deeply and harmoniously with what you would call relationships with other selves, sexual energy transfer work, and philosophical or metaphysical research. The product of many, many generations of work upon what we conceive to be the archetypical mind produced the tarot, which was used by our peoples as a training aid in developing the magical personality. So here's context. This is why Ra loves the Tarot so much because this was their tool for uh, enlightenment, basically. That's what developing the magical personality is, is to allow this um, non-egoic self to be manifested. And so um, I would think that in our planets, the Tarot might not be 
what we get so excited to talk about when we become a social memory complex. <laughs> but I may be biased here, but non-duality is what has been developed in essence, uh, or mysticism, let's put it that way. It's just that non-duality is a catch-all phrase for uh, anything that is mystical, because we're talking about unity, right? So whether that be in Christian traditions or Taoist or uh, shamanistic, we're all seeing unity. That's our thing here. So, um, yeah, we might get excited to talk about mysticism as a social memory complex. But Ra developed the Tarot. And they are giving us a little bit of a refresher also as to how their society was. And that was a great relationship with other selves. They didn't have this uh, bloody competition that we have on Earth. Sexual energy transfer work, uh, they develop well, very well, what is the interaction between entities for intercourse and the energy transfer that was performed there. So this is a product, I believe, of their philosophical and metaphysical research. So understanding reality from, from a different point of view, not from the animal point of view, which we have been developing basically our sexuality. Um, and so that's, that's very different. It's not very useful for spiritual development or evolution to just concentrate on the primitive uh, and very obscure uh, aspects of sexuality, which is the case in our earth. The product of many, many generations of work upon what we conceive to be the archetypical mind produced the Tarot, which was used by Ra as a training aid to develop the non-egoic personality or the spontaneous self, the real, the true self manifested in form. So we see again that the Tarot was developed over many generations and uh, that was to understand the mind, the archetypical mind. So, what does Ra say or Don ask here in the next question? Question 15, Don says, I'll make a guess that those of Venus third density who were the initial ones to partially penetrate the veil gleaned information as to the nature of the archetypical mind and the veiling process and from this designed the Tarot as a method of teaching others. Is this correct? Ra says, it is so. So, you see, this is why it is so important for each and every one of us to develop our own way of seeing life. This, this question is crucial for our individuality because as we're so used to, and I think this is one of our down, downsides as individual people, individual manifestations of the one, is that we tend to associate um, things for being the path. The path is your mind. Only you know your mind. 
that is the path you see uh, so again while it's very helpful and we all use obviously external influence and sources and um, stimulus things that appeal to us they are tools and they are tools to develop our own individual mind um, why am I saying all of this? Because Don's guess is that Ra um, yeah, those of Ra were the initial ones to partially penetrate the veil. So in their search for more, for knowing themselves, right? That itchy question, who am I? What is this universe? Uh, what's my purpose and so on all of these philosophical questions that are simply the result of self-awareness this is not something that a bird concerns itself with or a worm or a cow or even a dog they're not concerned with these questions they're barely concerned with moving eating and realizing that they are something but we humans have self-awareness and so we start asking these questions who am i who are you and what is this universe where am i these questions are going to start to pave the road for the penetration of the veil if that makes sense and so those who were partially able to penetrate the veil they gleaned information as to the nature of the archetypical mind and the veiling process. So noticing, wait a minute, there's something beyond this that has a sort of dynamic with reality. And furthermore, uh, there is something that is veiling me from that information. Let's find out how we can get more information about this, right? And so mysticism is born. Um, the key uh, point here for my case is that as we do this we begin to see our own path we begin to see our own way of understanding reality this is why Ra suggested out of the methods that were available to Don and Carla and Jim they suggested pick astrology pick uh, the tree of life or tarot just don't mix them it's going to be difficult <laughs> i mean you can people have tried uh, but you might want to just use one because they are tools they're not supposed to be things that you master to acquire something which is a tool you can be a master at using a knife but if you don't cut anything then what's it worth uh, it's all for show right so that's my point um that these are tools and we need to use them for our own individual development uh, you may not even need them you might use something else i mean tarot or archetypical mind actually tarot astrology and tree of life seem to correlate to the archetypical mind um, but for example we don't use this in buddhism does that mean we're missing something we don't use this in Taoism at all. We don't use them, this in uh, mystic uh, Christianity or in shamanistic traditions. 
We don't use any of this. And yet there are paths. You see, each individual person develops. And you see the similarities between all of these, all of them, when they are expressed. When mystics sit down and talk about this, they all say, oh yeah, we're talking about the same thing. This is what happened at the end of the 19th century in the U.S. when all these mystics and religious leaders got together and they said, yeah, you know, we have a lot of differences. Everything that we say is completely you know, different on the outside, but in the inside, what we mean is the same thing. Right, we're all getting together to see that we're searching the same thing and we're trying to express that in uh, very poor language. So all of this to suggest to you, the listener, to uh, trust your own mind and to trust the attraction that you have. I will give you my, my own experience, just as a reference. I am not attracted to any of the three suggestions that Ra said. Wow, lo and behold, Gabe has said that the law of one is, is major influence. Yes, in many ways, metaphysically especially, in trying to understand reality in a cohesive way. Uh, and yet, these paths are not attractive to me. Uh, they seem rather convoluted for my own mind. It's um, difficult to understand. And so I follow a different path. One that has been just the result of me exploring different things. And that's just what I pick. Um, so all of us need to have our own discernment. And again, this is expressed here to me in Don's question when he guesses that you guys basically uh, penetrated the veil, got information about the archetypical mind, and then uh, continue on. And Ra says, that is so. But what else does Don want to say or ask? He assumes and says, I will also assume, which may not be correct, that the present list that I have of the 22 names of the Tarot cards are not in exact agreement with Ra's original generation of the Tarot. Could you describe the original Tarot, first telling me if there were 22 archetypes that must have been the same? And if they were the same as the list that I have, I have read you in a previous session or if there were differences. So yeah, let's find out about the cards and the 22 archetypes. Ross says, as we have stated previously, each archetype is a concept complex and may be viewed not only by individuals, but by those of the same racial and planetary influences in unique ways. Therefore, it is not informative to reconstruct the rather minor differences in descriptive terms between the tarot used by us and that used by those of Egypt and the spiritual descendants of those first students of, the, of this system of study. So, um, I'm going to give my shallow understanding of the archetypical mind then a little bit of how I see the Tarot, and then what Ra says. So the archetypical mind is basically the way in which the mind-body-spirit complex works. Just like there is gravity, there are parameters. These are parameters of existence. And these parameters belong to the evolution 
of the mind-body-spirit complex. So you can see it that way. There are different parameters that correspond, of course, to each of the uh, complexes that we are made out of, a body, a mind, a spirit. So these parameters are set. Yes, they are um, immovable. They are simply the way things work. Now the tarot is a way of describing this and we have it in cards. We have 22 cards and there are seven for each mind, body, spirit. And then there's one which is uh, the fool or the choice. It's my favorite card and it stands alone away from the others. And yet it is involved in all of them. Okay. And uh, what is Ross saying here? If we want to study the archetypical mind and um, the, uh, the archetypes as they were explained in Venus obviously have some differences because of the planetary influence in which they were. So even though they're part of the solar system, the fact that they were from Venus changes everything. The experience must be different and yet very similar to Earth because it belongs to the same sub logos or sub sub logos which is the sun uh, that's why they say it is not informative to reconstruct the rather minor differences in descriptive terms between the tarot used by us Ra in Venus and that used by those of Egypt us humans here on earth and the spiritual descendants of Egyptians basically um, the other thing that is interesting here is that Ra says each archetype uh, may be viewed not only by individuals, uh, but by those of the same racial and planetary influences in unique ways. So not only by each individual mind-body-spirit complex can the Tarot be seen in a different way, but for the collective of us, right, uh, that's what racial and planetary racial does not mean uh, skin color or whatever other superficial description of race have we created on earth but it has to do more with the for example uh, this gets convoluted but um mars maldic uh venus wonders and so on uh people from deneb who have graduated to third density all of these are ra uh, racial um, and then the planetary influence is a big bigger because it, it's everybody so um, let me explain this briefly our mind is like a tree Ross says and it's made out of our individual minds right our individual conscious and subconscious mind then there is the racial which is what we uh, our first distinction right as a group which has to do with origins so wanderers kind of that's why people call it cosmic family they're talking about that racial feeling right um, so cosmic family when people I don't know if people actually can see that <laughs> it might just be a romantic way of saying I like you and I'm spiritual I don't know but there is a reality to this. There are groups who 
uh, get along better, right? And then there are wonders uh, who simply come from you know, a one-time experience. There are a variety of things. These are racial, right? It's how you associate with a specific group. In any case, all of that is nothing compared to the planetary because the planetary is all humans. It doesn't matter where you're from, what galaxy, what uh, constellation, what uh, whatever planetary uh, origin you have. It's all about being humans. That is much more deep, right, in the mind. And we share a commonality. And even beyond that is the Logoic influence, which, for example, Ra doesn't belong to uh, all, obviously, the racial or planetary, but Logos, you bet they are, because they are sons and, and daughters of the sun. So that's the Logoic. And beyond that, there is just the cosmic mind, which is all galaxies, all stars, anything is derived from the one Logos. And beyond that, <laughs> it's the source of everything, which is intelligent infinity. So this is the tree of mind. Uh, so there are differences, of course, in the way we interpret it individually, racially, planetarily, and of course, logoic, I guess. Uh, these differences are not important, not informative. Again, we go back to individual interpretation. All of that to say that. <laughs> uh, what else does Ross say? They say the one great breakthrough which was made after our work in third density was done um, was done was the proper emphasis given to the arcanum number 22 which we have called the choice in our own experience we were aware that such a unifying archetype existed but did not give that archetype the proper complex of concepts in order to most efficaciously use that archetype in order to promote our evolution. So the choice, um, this, this is interesting that they mentioned this because the choice is basically polarity. You're picking positive or negative polarity and that is a function of post-veil third density experience. This seems to be because Ra was a very harmonious, as they said, previously uh, because they were so harmonious they were in essence looking at the positive polarity alone that's why they were naive and they had to spend so much time in fifth density uh, they said the fourth density for them was like easy peasy lemon squeezy we basically went through fourth density says Ra um, very easy very harmonious too but fifth density gaining wisdom <laughs> uh, you can see that even in sixth density they're still balancing wisdom because in their naivety and they mention it they gave us pyramids lo and behold uh, egyptians said Woohoo! we can polarize negatively thank you ra <laughs> you know how much that depolarizes ra right so that's why they're here trying to um work the um, the um 
they don't call it mistakes, the distortions that they cause of the loved one. By the way, a little side note as part of the experience of listening to this episode. This totally, oh, aside from the loved one, this year where I live in Pennsylvania, the trees have been overloaded with acorns and it feels like we're in a battlefield here. So if you hear some knocking and uh, Oliver likes to bark when he hears this, of course, because he thinks somebody's knocking on the door or stepping on the <laughs> Uh, outside uh, but yeah they just sometimes it's like a, a flurry of them and they are startling sometimes <laughs> we may be facing a very very cold winter uh, this year but I digress in any case going back to um, 22 the choice they uh, they were aware of such a unifying archetype. They knew that there, this archetype was the unifying, uh, let's say, uh, piece of the whole mind, which is, I like to see it as intelligent infinity. Uh, the choice is intelligent infinity. It's that pure, uh, that's why it's depicted as the fool. It doesn't know where it's going. It just follows whatever it is, you know, and it doesn't care. Uh, what decision it makes because it's fine you know that's faith <laughs> it's derived from there so I love it um, it's beyond even uh, law of one beyond non-duality beyond polarity beyond everything the fool is that which simply experiences um, so very well um what else can we take out of this they knew that this was a unifying archetype but they didn't give the proper complex of concepts which in a way shows us that they weren't um i don't want to say efficient or they weren't that thorough even in their exploration of the archetypes so it's fine you know it's fine that we don't understand everything their archetypical system was incomplete let's put it that way so it was later that they they kind of uh got it all together in fourth density i guess and of course they taught us this to, to the egyptians okay let's move on Question 17, Don says, I will make this statement as to my understanding of some of the archetypes and let you correct this statement. All right, um, listen to this. Uh, Ra is going to give, I mean, this is going to be a very uh, intricate description of the archetypes. Um, very bold attempt from Don. And while I do think it's it's really good, um, it's um, it doesn't do honor to all the things that we can explore in the archetypical mind. However, this is what Don says, and this is his statement. It seems to me that that the significator of mind, body, and spirit are acted upon in each of these by the catalyst. This produces experience which then leads to the transformation and produces the great way. Pretty good. This is the same process for mind, for mind, 
the body and spirit. The archetypes are just repeated but act in a different way as catalysts because of the differences of mind, body and spirit. They produce a different type of experience for each because of the differences in the three. The transformation is slightly different. The great way is somewhat different but the archetypes are all basically doing the same thing. They are just acting on three different portions of the mind-body-spirit complex so that we can condense the entire archetypical mind into a way of saying that in making the significator a complex, basically we have provided a way for catalysts to create transformation more efficiently. Would you correct my statement, please? And I'll just comment on this briefly before getting into Ra. I think Don's description is pretty good in the way that uh, I barely understand the archetypical mind, so it might be all wrong. <laughs> I don't think it is wrong. Uh, I, I think I grasp the, the basics of it. And in, that, in those basics, I can see that Don grasped it as well. But there is a depth to this that, of course, Ra is going to suggest that needs to be explored. And that's the whole purpose of getting into the archetypical mind. The one thing I see is that this is dealing, of course, with parts. And because we deal with parts, we always get into that problem, you know, of thinking that things have an individual purpose. And while they seem to do, it's always a whole that is acting, right? And we're unable to see the whole. We're missing the forest for the trees. Let's put it that way. So I think that's the only thing that is it's misplaced here, but that is the nature of, of course, inquiring into these structures and tools and methods, right? It's um, it's a necessary evil, let's call it that way, that we need to be aware of and, of course, um, dissipated when it's not needed. So again, that's just my very uh, brief comments. Let's go into what Ra says here. And of course, they're going to say, in your statement, correctness is so plated up with tendrils of the most fundamental misunderstanding that correction of your statement is difficult. We shall make comments and from these comments request that you allow a possible realignment of conceptualization to occur. So in essence, yeah, the correctness of your statement is um, it's, in, it's tangled up with many fundamental misunderstandings. So they're just going to comment and hope, in essence, that there is a realignment of the questions. Ross says, the archetypical mind is a great and fundamental portion of the mind complex. One of its most basic elements and one of the richest sources of information for the seeker of the one infinite creator. Mm -hmm. To attempt to condense the archetypes is to make an erroneous attempt. Each archetype is a significant ding an sich or thing in itself with its own complex of concepts. While it is informative to survey the relationships of one archetype to another, it can be said that this line of inquiry is secondary 
to the discovery of the purest gestalt or vision or melody which each archetype signifies to both the intellectual and intuitive mind. So a lot to be said here. Let's not forget that the archetypical mind is simply the foundation of the mind, how the mind works. You may be asking, okay, so is there an archetypical body? Perhaps. Is there an archetypical spirit? I don't think so. I don't know. Not in this system. <laughs> um, but its foundation is in the mind. That's why we don't care about anything else but the mind. Isn't it interesting that uh, in any spiritual um, tradition, we put the most emphasis to the mind because we know the source of everything is in the mind. So that's it. The archetypical mind is a great fundamental portion of the mind complex. Um, and one of its most basic elements and one of the richest sources of information of uh, for the seeker of the one infinite creator is this mind complex. So yeah, that's emphasizing this. The mind is the most important thing that we can study. It's not the most important thing. It's the only important thing. Everything else is a product of the mind. It either channels a spirit or manifests in body uh, as the world. But these are the dynamics of the mind. It's the filter through which infinity can see itself uh, for what it is to have an experience. So Rice warning that to attempt to condense the archetypes is to make an, uh, an erroneous attempt. And I think that's, that's perhaps the biggest fault in uh, Don's question. But again, I don't think it's, it's, there are mistakes there. It's just that condensing them um, may not be helpful. Each archetype is a thing in itself, a thing in itself. Uh, with its own complex of concepts. So this invites us to uh, investigate, to explore, to study each. What does the matrix of the mind mean? What, what is the whole idea of the matrix of the mind? We all have to study that. And then potentiator, huh, how does a potentiator um, potentiates the mind? What is the relationship between potentiator and matrix? unconscious and conscious mind. So all of these things are concept complex, uh, complex of concepts, as Ross said, concept complex, same thing. Uh, while it is informative to survey the relationships of one archetype to another, and this is when we start pairing things, right? So experience and catalyst and significator with the others and uh, transformation and great way and so on. So. While it is informative, uh, it can be said that this line of inquiry is secondary to the discovery of the purest uh, gestalt of each archetype, right? Both for the intellectual and intuitive mind. So it's best to meditate on each archetype first as to what they mean 
and then you can start making relationships. Trying to pair them from from the get-go, uh, I don't think it can create problems. It's just that it's not as clear. It's not as um, as beautiful. It's not as um, yes. Uh, what's the word? I'm vivid. You see, the study becomes more vivid as you study each archetype. And this is coming from somebody who hasn't studied them as they should. Uh, I barely even grazed the, the surface of it. And it's, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful study. Uh, but yeah, what else does Ross say? They say the significators of mind, body and spirit complexes are complex in and on in and of themselves and the archetypes of catalyst experience transformation and the great way are most fruitfully viewed as independent complexes which have their own melodies with which they may inform the mind of its nature so curious to know that of course they didn't mention uh, matrix and potentiator here Perhaps because those two are um, are prevail. I don't know. I, I've I've no idea why they didn't mention here. Maybe I do have an idea. Uh, Don didn't mention it either, did he? Let's find out. Uh, yeah, he starts with this produces experience in. Uh, leads to transformation and produces a great way, right? Um, yeah, he doesn't mention it. So he's talking about how, because uh, experience and uh, and catalysts are the ones before the significator. So the significator is the one that is taking, in essence, all of this. Uh, the significator is the one that is changing. It's like the manifest itself, right? And so. Uh, experience and catalysts are the ones that are feeding, in essence, these these changes. Matrix and potentiator are simply the interactions, right? These are the relationships of of interaction, and so catalysts and experience are produced for the significator to change, in essence, to tr transform itself, to evolve, as it were, um, and so. I think that's why they, they only mention significator of mind, body, and spirit complexes are complex in and of themselves. Um, they, they, significator, again, I don't remember in the very little study that I, that I have done, significator being paired with anything in particular, but with everything, just like uh, car 22, but the significators are paired with their specific lines. So significator of mind is paired, of course, with matrix, potentiator, all of the line of the mind. Uh, significator of body then with its respective other six cards or six archetypes of the body and so on with the spirit. Uh, and I think it's the significator, actually you can see a relationship between uh, significators of mind, body and spirit. And you can see a relationship between matrix or matrices of mind body and spirit but i don't I, I personally don't see a relationship i may be you know blind here 
between a significator of mine and matrix of the spirit. I don't, maybe it's just because I haven't gotten fully into it, but it seems that those are the ways to pair them or study them. So then it is um, the archetypes of catalyst experience transformation in great way are most fruitfully viewed as independent complexes which have their own melodies with which they may inform the mind of its nature. So Ra is inviting here to, um, to study them independent as independent complexes uh, in and of themselves. So this, this gets more into how to study the archetypical minds. Um, let's say what else Ra says here. They say, we ask you, we ask that you consider that the archetypical mind informs those thoughts which then may have been, may have bearing upon the mind, the body, or the spirit. The archetypes do not have a direct linkage to body or spirit. All must be drawn up through the higher levels of the subconscious mind to the conscious mind, and thence they may flee whither they have been bidden to go. So, Let's reread this. <laughs> we ask that you consider that the archetypical mind informs those thought, those thoughts which then may have bearing upon the mind, the body, and the spirit. So here we see again the um, the structure of the mind. The mind being the the beginning and the end of everything. Mind is move is movement. So of course is the channeling of the spirit as movement and the body or the world as we fashion it um, as manifested movement intelligent energy so they are asking us to consider that the archetypical mind informs those thoughts which then may have bearing upon the mind body or the spirit so the archetypical mind is informing our thoughts which then have an influence in our mind, body, and spirit. The importance here to me is that, um, you see, since the the way we have a relationship with the mind, right? That's, let's not talk about the archetypical mind, but with the mind, our relationship with the mind, this invites us to meditation, of course, our relationship with the mind informs our world, informs our vision of what reality is. So that is something to really, really consider. If the mind is doing this, then let's learn what the mind is. Let's see, let's understand the mind. Let's get along with the mind, basically. The archetypes do not have a direct linkage to body or spirit. See, the archetypes have a direct linkage is to the mind. Um, all must be drawn up through the higher levels of the subconscious mind to the conscious mind, and thence they flee. They may flee whether they have been bidden to go. So all of this bubbles up from the subconscious to the conscious mind, and then they go whatever they have to go, right? Um, getting in touch with the deepest portions of the mind. 
this is again meditation to allow these unconscious processes to uh, to bubble up this is healing this is alignment of chakras and so on all of this is the evolution process of allowing the mind to be crystallized so that whatever comes through is what comes through there is no intention unless you're negative then you control whatever is coming through and you become a master of control domination and so on so that's the part that Ra didn't pick up really well <laughs> in their third density. Um, so again, this it's it's very deep, and it requires so much talk about uh, the archetypical mind. But I I don't think I can do that, and we can just go into uh, just the surface levels here. That's just um, something that is invited individually I think we all need to individually study the archetypical mind uh, and like I said whichever way is best for you you have to decide that what else does Ross say here to finish up this answer they say when used in a controlled way they are most helpful rather than continue beyond the boundaries of your prior statement we would appropriate or I correct myself we would appreciate the opportunity for your re-questioning at this time so that we may answer you more precisely. Um, so when used in a more controlled way, they are most helpful. Uh, this control has nothing to do with what I said just now about the negative path, but in, in a discipline, I would say, Right, discipline, control way to study these archetypes. And um, instead of going beyond the boundaries of your prior statement, which they would have loved to, <laughs> you can see that there. They rarely say this. Uh, but yeah, instead of going beyond what you ask, so before I get too excited, <laughs> in essence, uh, ask us something else, is what Ra is saying. Uh, so again, I know this sounds heavy, uh, it's deep, uh, it's asking us, oh my God, do I need to study this right away or I'm missing something? Let's just, um, let's just make the initial invitation to study your own mind or understand your mind um, because I am heavily influenced by um, Zen in particular. I'll quote Bodhidharma where he said, if you try to understand reality with your mind, you won't understand either. Meaning, you won't understand reality or your mind. Don't understand your mind with the mind. And he says, if you try to understand reality without your mind, you will understand both. How's that possible? How can you understand something without the mind, let alone reality, right? What is Bodhidharma trying to tell us? awareness that is the key going back to yourself it all goes down to knowing yourself in essence so it's very simple again this is just my suggestion uh, this is my own path it doesn't have to be your own but understanding the mind beyond the mind is to me the most efficacious way uh, that's why the suggestion always is in meditate on each archetype 
You see, you're not reflecting, you're not studying, you're not creating an analytical process. You can if you want to, uh, but the suggestion is always meditate on each archetype. And the people who I admire the most, who know about the archetypical mind, well, they do such a thing. They just sit with each archetype and suddenly things just start coming up and they say, oh, I don't know where that came from. It wasn't from their musings or their reflections or um, reflections meaning uh, reflecting. You're reflecting your own thoughts. So that's because we're allowing this manifest itself to take care of it, the unconscious mind, to uh, flower up as to whatever it wants to interpret as the archetypical mind. So that would be my suggestion. If you're one, you're in desire to study this, uh, what I say study this is the mind, then definitely consider uh, knowing yourself. It'll help a lot. I don't know how far I can get. Uh, let me take a peek at, at this session. I think we have, there are at least two questions that I won't be able to cover because they're way too long. Um, let's see how far we can get today. We are in question 17. So, yeah, we have, let's see how far we can get. Um, and we'll definitely end this session with a third part. So let's move on. Question 18, Don says, I will ask the following questions to clear up possibly only the method of teaching these concepts which may give me important clues to understanding the concepts of themselves, the concepts themselves. Did Ra use cards similar to the Tarot cards for the training purpose in third density? Uh, we can fly through these. These are not very deep. Ra says, no, we didn't use those cards. Um, Don says, well, uh, what did Ra use in third density? And Ra explains, you are aware in your attempts at magical visualization of the mental configuration of sometimes rather complex visualizations. These are mental and drawn with the mind. Another example well known in your culture is the visualization, visualization in your mass, uh, this is uh, church, of the distortion of the love of the one infinite creator called Christianity, wherein a small portion of your foodstuffs is seen to be a mentally configured but entirely real man. The man known to you as Yehoshua or as you call this entity now, Jesus. It was by this method of sustained visualization over a period of training that we work with these concepts. These concepts were occasionally drawn. However, the concept of one visualization per card was not thought of us, was not thought of by us. So here's the whole gist of this, this answer. Ra is asking, so, did you use the Tarot as we know it in Venus? Well, first of all, it would have to be very different in terms of imagery because I am assuming they didn't have birds as we have them. They didn't have uh, Egyptian Egyptian uh, imagery and all of Earth stuff. 
So even if they did, it must have been different. And yet, Ra says that no, they basically didn't have drawn cards or any drawn um, material. They didn't learn from passing on, you know, uh, these very crude depictions of mind. Probably better than words, but still, it's it's not helpful. We humans at least have a penchant for uh, trying to put things into word, trying to put things into imagery, which is not a problem. It's just to believe these words, to believe this imagery as what it is. So we get into trouble there. Um, but yeah, Ra, in essence, just use mental visualization. And they give the example of church when, um, I forget, is, the, is it the Eucharist, what we're talking about here? I believe it is. Uh, this, when, you know, the body of Christ is given to you in, in a piece of, uh, it's not bread. At least in Venezuela, we didn't use bread. It was, some, it was made out of wheat, of course, but yeah, let's call it bread. Uh, dipped in some wine so we're visualizing we're not thinking oh I'm eating a piece of Jesus right now of course we're visualizing Jesus symbolically there and we're taking him in uh, the Christ in us so that's where we're doing here and that's what they did back there uh, they simply visualize uh, not that they too they took food stuff, as they call it. I love that word, by the way. Um, but just drawing mentally, they, they had this uh, great power that a lot of people here in, in Earth has it too, which is the ability to visualize things and to keep them there and play with them. So, um, Ross says, it was this method of sustained visualization over a period of training that we work with these concepts. So. Uh, this is not too foreign to us because, for example, in the East, we don't have, I mean, we do have written stuff because we're humans, of course, but we don't have the heavy uh, reliance on text as we do in the West. You see, in the West, we rely heavily on the Torah, Bible, and the Quran, and so on. So all of these texts, um, religiously, are sacred you know you cannot dare to uh attain to these texts and let alone introduce something to it or uh, give another interpretation it is what it is right so that's a that's a cancer for our spiritual journey it starts growing its own cells and just becomes what we know you know uh, these this dark definitions of religion that we have especially in christianity so in the east it was easier to just you know transmit the knowledge without text and visualization this method of teaching was very helpful i'm pretty sure i wish we could do this more here on earth <laughs> but okay the collective doesn't want it so far so we can't um but yeah that's how they passed on in essence, this, this knowledge of the archetypical mind. Uh, but Don asks precisely this. And in question 20, he says, well, 
How did the teacher relay information to the student with respect to visualization? Ross says the process was Kabbalistic, that is of the oral tradition of mouth to ear. So Kabbalistic, the word Kabbalah in its roots uh, means um, tradition, but also reception. Okay, so if you mix the two, I suppose what Ra is giving here, because they mentioned the word tradition, um, is the reception of infor information through the tradition of mouth to ear. Um, this is very similar to what we do. In fact, Zen is precisely this. You know, it is transmission, direct transmission of knowledge. This is why I love so much Zen. Um, so I appreciate this type of teaching better than anything else that has to do with text and memorizing pictures and all of these things. Uh, I prefer this. I personally, me, this mind-body-spirit complex known to you by the sound vibration, Gabriel. Uh, so <laughs> uh, that's how it was. That is how it was transmitted. Um, let's finish up the last two questions before we get into the heavy one, which is question 23. We're here, why not? Question 21, Don says, then when Ra attempted to teach the Egyptians, the concept of the Tarot was the same process used or a different one? Ra says, the same process was used. However, those which were teach learners after us first drew these images to the best of their ability within the place of initiation and later began the use of what you call cards bearing these visualizations representations. Very important here. This is very important to me uh, because here we see that Ra Ra didn't come here, manifested themselves and say, we're going to teach you in the way that we knew it. It was all telepathically, right? But people were aware of this. Uh, Egyptians who grabbed this, they said, oh, this is how it works. But they then drew these images that Ra was imprinting on them, you see? Um, and so here's where we start to see the discrepancies and the images. Uh, who knows where the initial images are? They, they must be somewhere because they, it seems that they engraved them in the stone uh, in Egypt, so they may be somewhere. Even there, I wouldn't put too much of an importance to the images because I know how we humans think. We think, oh, there is a pure image that Ra gave us. Who cares? <laughs> um, even the visualization that Ra gave us was not the perfect one. It was just their way of seeing the archetypical mind What's important is the archetypical mind. How we get to it is through the concept complexes. And that to me is the most important part. Um, so yeah, imagery, they, the way I see it here, again, this is how I, I see it, is that Ra imprinted this in the mind of the Egyptians at the time. They saw it, they understood how it worked. This transmission was successfully done for them to see the archetypical mind as it is, 22 cards or 22 archetypes uh, depicted in cards and so on. That's where the Tarot was born. The Tarot is a representation of the archetypical mind. 
Uh, it seems that the archetypical mind is also present in astrology and in the tree of life. So, lo and behold, the tarot is not the archetypical mind, it's a representation of the archetypical mind. But one that we use here in the law of one because that's the one they decided to use. So that's exactly what happened, right? Those which were teach learners after us, those who in essence started to teach the archetypical mind, they first drew these images to the best of their ability within the place of initiation, which must be a pyramid or some other uh, structure back then. That's within the place of initiation. And later began to use, uh, began the use of what you call cards, bearing these visualizations, representations. Uh, very beautiful exploration here as to the origin of the Tarot. For those who wonder how this came to be, well, it was a channeling, you might say. That channeling became an understanding of a crucial part of ourselves, and which is the mind, and yeah, that was drawn in cards. Much to say here, but I'll leave it at that. Question 22, Don says, this will be the final one for today. For us, not for the session. Don says, were the court arcana and the minor arcana a portion of Ross teachings, or was this something that came along later? So these are the rest of the tarot cards, which I'm completely unaware of. Ross says, those cards of which you speak were the product of the influence were the product of the influence of those of Chaldea and Sumer. So this is probably a good cliffhanger for the next episode <laughs> because we're going to uh, talk about divination and how these were part of the Tarot. I guess these are all the cards that we can see in decks that have more than 22 cards, more of the Major Arcana. Uh, I confess I don't know anything about them I have never studied them. I've never even seen them. I know that there are different decks and people have all kinds of tarot. This is where you see the proliferation of tarot as a method of divination. and All the channels and peoples that you see that are uh, asking, you know, your higher self is about your future and all of this. They're just playing with these uh, mental configurations in one way or another. Far from me to judge uh, the uh, utility, the uh, if efficacious application of this uh, playfulness that we have with the tarot. Uh, some people have expressed to me that it's not a, a good thing. And this is somebody who studied uh, the tarot particularly the archetypical mind and she used this as a sort of definition and she was able to see uh, the dead body of somebody's sister and basically told him and it was predicted basically that she was going to die and she just she was so star startled by this that she said I'm never going to do this again this is not the purpose of this <laughs> uh, and I appreciate that uh, I personally appreciate that. But some people like to know this, and that's fine, I guess. Um, it's a fair game for everybody. 
conclusions. I'm going to, of course, go to what I find to be the most efficient use of all of this information, which is knowing your own mind. I'm going to end this with an anecdote, which is the turning point in my own seeking. Um, the word seeking implies, it doesn't imply, so, uh, it's explicit in the word that I am looking for something. When you distill, filter everything that you think you're seeking into one thing, what you seek is peace, harmony, uh, happiness. Happiness without a, without a purpose, without a motive, without, uh, without a reason, no reason to be happy, just happiness because it is possible in and of itself. That's what you're looking for. And my seeking, of course, was through, apparently there's a lot of complexity out there that I need to learn in order to achieve that mystical state of happiness that is so coveted. So I went through all of this, law of one and non-duality, Buddhism and Zen and all of this, and in essence, I was massaging my brain or my mind, massaging it. And intellectual stimulation over and over. This is the seeking part of my path. Until eventually, I, long story short, I came up, not came up, I came upon the teachings of going straight into yourself, knowing yourself. I never understood what that meant before. I knew that it was needed, but I thought I had to do many things to know myself. I mean, knowing myself as unity doesn't seem that clear cut to me, but it was. And so this was the turning point when taking this investigation of the self to the utmost of experience, then you're left with a discovery, which is who are you? what are you? However, the implications of this discovery is what transforms the path from seeking to exploration, to enjoyment, to wowness. That is the key. And the, the benefit of this is the end of suffering. Suffering as an unconscious process, I should say because suffering still comes up as you have conditioned parts of yourself, of your mind at play. You have unconscious processes. This is what we call healing, deconditioning the mind and so on. But this can only happen from a place of knowledge, from a place of knowing, from a place of consciousness. You cannot make conscious the unconscious processes without consciousness. <laughs> Does that make sense? I know it sounds like a tongue twister, but you cannot make unconscious processes conscious without consciousness. You need to be aware of the unconscious processes, basically. So the invitation is to, again, seek this knowledge of self as it would be a tremendous, uh, not tremendous, a pivotal point in your seeking, uh, hopefully a turning point like it was on mine, and you'll be able to uh, be free from the 
suffering that is the unconscious mind, living within the unconscious mind and identifying with that, which is not you. That's my suggestion with this. I have nothing else to say or suggest. I appreciate you listening as always. We're gonna finish this. There's only two more questions, but they're kind of long and we can spend a good half hour there. So I don't want to extend this more than what it is. And with that, I bid you farewell. Take care of yourself and I'll see you in the last part of session 88, part three.